Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois, Chicago. On today's episode, Dave will be interviewing Margie Owens-Klotz, CEO of Owens Media, to discuss the do's and don'ts of public speaking and provide tips on becoming a better public speaker. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back, and Happy New Year. Uh, So glad to have you back here listening to Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. As always, we have to thank Carrie and the production team for all their work. We really appreciate them. Also, please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to contact us, please reach out to pygon1.com. Today, our topic is going to be public speaking, storytelling, and we have an expert in the house with us today, and that is the CEO of Owens Media. Her name is Margie Owens-Klotz, a fellow Southsider, by the way, so of course I had to bring her in to speak with us. Margie's background is phenomenal. I can't wait to learn from her today. She was, uh, she's been in public speaking and marketing for years. I'll let her share her background, but she is CEO of Owens Media, She's a college professor, and she just got a great amount of knowledge and experience, not only from her past, but current into public speaking. And I'm so looking forward to her. So I'm going to throw it over to Margie and let her give you her background from her perspective. So Margie, why don't you share with everybody a little bit of your background from your perspective? Thank you very much, Dave. It's great to be here. Um, My background, I started in public speaking probably more than 20 years ago, and I've always done it on the side. My full-time career was in public relations and marketing, from which I took an early retirement just a couple years ago. And I returned to the classroom where I teach public speaking at a community college and at a Chicago university. And um, one of the biggest things that we address is public speaking anxiety, which we're gonna go get into a little bit later, but it's making people realize the effect of public speaking and how it plays a part in everybody's lives, regardless of what you do. But I will throw it back to you so you can lead us. Oh, sure. Lead us along the way. And Margie, it is amazing when we talk about public speaking. You and I do this for a living. I know I'm going to pick up a ton today listening to you. I already have just in our own conversations. But it's so fascinating that, what's that saying, Margie? Some people would rather die than public speak. There is Jerry Seinfeld. There is a Jerry Seinfeld quote, (laughs) and I use this graphic in my presentations where Jerry Seinfeld says the two biggest fears in life are dying and public speaking. And he says, so you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. (laughs) And it's also a fear of dentists. I like to tell my dentist too, that one of the three biggest fears and it's called glossophobia is actually the definition of the fear of public speaking. Glossophobia. And 75% of people have a fear of public speaking. Amazing. Amazing. I took a Zig Ziglar course one and two years ago, and I can tell you, Margie, 
you walked in there and obviously we're all, it was a bunch of leaders. We're all, we're a little nervous. They're taping us their video recordings. What a great experience it was for Margie. They tape us for one minute. Then you listen to yourself back. Besides thinking my voice was annoying. I was an um guy. I said, um, seven times when they tape recorded us. So it was just such a great experience to listen to myself. So I don't have a ton of tips today, but the one I do have is for everybody. If you've never listened to yourself, you should read one of your presentations or just reading a book and, or just talking into a video recording. You might be surprised at the padding words. And I'm going to don't want to get into that because I know you're going to touch on that. But Margie, why don't we kick off with one thing we discussed. You have a really great perspective on how public speaking has evolved. I think it'd be great if you could share with all this, your perspective, how it has evolved over the years. If you think back to when, if you had speech class in high school or college, more often than not, you went to the front of the room and read verbatim from a manuscript, okay? We don't do that anymore. That's not the accepted practice in public speaking. Everything is having a conversation with your audience, okay? If I have people in my classes who are able to walk and talk, which is amazing. We'll get into that later when we talk about the podium, but you want to appear casual yet professional, still no profanity, no jargon, no slang. What I mean by jargon is, you know, if you're a, a computer guy and you're IT, you know, your entire audience may not know, you know, the acronyms that you're using. They may not understand it. So those are the three things that we tell people to avoid profanity, jargon, or slang. You want to speak naturally. Don't be overly stagey or formal. Um, people, they want a conversation. And one of the biggest things in to have a conversation with your audience is to know your audience. And it may sound a little selfish, but more often than not, audiences come in thinking, what's in this for me? They do. Mm. Honest. I mean, this and they, you know everything I've read, articles, and we stress this in public speaking teaching that the audience, you know, that's their frame of mind. They, you know, what, what am I going to get out of this? So one of the key things when you are addressing a group, either virtually or in person, you want to know your audience and you prepare your presentation for your audience, not for yourself. Your presentation is for your audience. And um, we tell people, you know, learn as much as you can about your audience. Who will you be speaking to in a professional capacity? You know, you, what's their background? What do they do? What is their, you know, what is their level within the organization? you know, gender, age, you know, demographics, you know, you can try to find out as much as you can. And that's how you tailor. That's how you create. And that's how you deliver your presentation. That's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. And that customization is critical. Here's a question for you. When you mentioned this to me, I didn't think of it this way. So I think it'd be good if, for you to share this with the audience. And that is you call public speaking a life skill, a life skill. Why don't you share to everybody what you mean by that? Well, what I mean by a life skill, and I, I'm, I'm a, an old scout leader and in scouts, we taught life skills. And as I look at public speaking, this is something that you use for the rest of your life. Okay. Right now in the state of Illinois, it's a mandate. There's a state mandate that every undergraduate student has to take public speaking. And when I open up my class, I tell the kids, this is the most important class you will take in your life. And they look at me kind of like, what? <laughs> and I, I keep a straight face and they look at, like get the quizzical looks back from them. But I tell them this applies to everything you do, every career you're going into, 
job interviews. Um, it increases your self-confidence, one-on-one communication, professional settings. It doesn't matter what field you're in. And in my classes at the school, at, at the colleges, you know, I have freshmen. It's a 100 level class. So I've got the psych majors, you know, bio pre-med, you know, every imaginable business, a lot of business kids, every imaginable major in my class. And I tell them, this will apply to everything you do for the rest of your life. And that's the importance of it. Because once you accomplish it, and once you're comfortable with it, not necessarily accomplish it, once you're comfortable, and once you know how to make yourself comfortable, this is a life skill that you will use for the rest of your life. Thanks, Margie. This one, I think people are going to take notes on. And this one is, how do you help people overcome anxiety, Margie, when they're doing public speaking or, or those people who do it all the time and they still get nervous. What tips do you give people to calm themselves down and to help with that anxiety? Think of a professional musician or a professional athlete. And this is what I tell people in my classes. They did not get to where they are without practicing and preparation. Those are the two P words, key keywords, keywords, practice and preparation. You may think, you know, if you have a business presentation to make, okay, I'll throw it together the night before. No, no. The more prepared you are, the more times you practice, the more comfortable you will be. Practice and preparation, you have to be able to say it. Practice right. and preparation are key. So, and one of the, the biggest things now, like say when I had speech class in college, um, you know, you, you couldn't record yourself. Everybody has an iPhone. You record yourself and practice yourself with your iPhone. And when you go back and you watch your recording, and this is what I tell my students and people who are, you know, adults that I, that I work with, focus on the positive when you review your video, okay? And the first thing to do is, you know, you, you record horizontally, which, which I assume most people know. But after you watch yourself speak, focus on the positive. Look at your pacing, your eye contact, your gestures, your volume, and then look at areas where you need to improve. But we always tell people, focus on the positive first. So, but can you go back to that horizontal? Excuse me. Uh, can you go back to that horizontal? You said you assume everybody understands that. I just want to make sure everybody does. Could you explain that when you said horizontal? When you video record with your phone, mm -hmm. you want it should always be in the horizontal mode. It Perfect. should always be, you know, horizontal. Got it. Because if you do it upright, it looks the recording's going to look like you shot it through a closet door. Sure. So I, when I tell, you know, our, our, my, my trainees or people I'm working with, you know, set it up horizontally and you, you can do a self-record and do it that way. I think it's excellent. I know my, for myself, I always say there's some, I think preparation is critical. I know when I'm more prepared, I am better. And when I'm not as prepared, I am not as good. That's just real. So that's an excellent reminder for all of us. For me, one of the things that helps is... And I know uh, my brother, my co-host, we discuss and we talk about this because he does a lot of public speaking as well, just like I do, is deep breaths, breathing, inhale, exhale. For me, if I do that four, five, six, seven, eight times, it really does help me calm myself down, get my nerves situated before I get on a virtual call or if I walk into in the room to give a big talk, whether it's 10 people or 50, that's very helpful to me. So this one, I can't wait because you have not told me this. You've not given me this answer. So I am looking forward to hearing why should we not touch the podium? 
Okay, I'm going to touch on what we just talked about really quick. Okay, sure, please go back. The other thing with, with, with reducing your anxiety is look for friendly faces in the audience for in-person presentations. Oh. And if you are at an in-person presentation, the audience has as much of a job as the speaker does. You smile and nod and show them that you're paying attention. And the same could be said for virtual online presentations, which we'll, we'll touch get into on that. later. Right. Why not touch the podium? Yes. Okay. Can't wait to hear this. You want to grab, you know, you, you, if you're nervous, you're going to have a tendency to grab onto it. I have seen people where they have rocked the podium to the point where I think they're going to take out the front row of the audience. But the biggest thing is you don't want to get locked down. You want to be able to use natural gestures as you're talking. You want to be able to make points and say, if you have visuals, you're going to make a reference to your visual. And if you're clutching a podium, it's, it's, it's not natural. So um, you want to keep your hands free for gestures and nonverbal. And if you're able to walk and talk, again, with an in-person presentation, if I, you know, if you can walk and talk, if you are comfortable to not hide behind the podium, step out, you have your note cards in hand to keep yourself on topic, you know, the podium, the podium can hold your note cards, the podium, a lot of people like to hide behind the podium, but don't hold on to it because you want to, you want to be natural and you want to be using your hands and gesturing and, you know, pointing things out. And if you're, you know, if, if the audience, you know, if someone's asking a question, you know, if you have a death grip on the podium, your hands aren't free. You need your mm. hands free. I believe Bill Clinton made that very popular when he was running for president the first time when he walked outside of the podium. You might correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought Margie, he was the one who got away from that podium and started connecting with the audience by removing that barrier. The other thing I remember somewhere during my learning and, and that was walking is very good with your audience. You just don't want to be a pacer. You don't want to be that person who's going east and west. Right. And you're, right. and, oh, the word, I, I don't remember if there's the exact word that I learned, but you don't want to annoy the audience and be a distraction because you're pacing east and west too much. Is that a fair comment, Margie, or am I off there? No, no, that's true. That's true. My point with, with, you know, with walking and talking, I mean, you don't want to be robotic and run back and forth across the stage when right. you're talking. You know, if you're on the same level as the audience, you can walk up and down the aisles as you're talking or just being next to the podium, you know, and being able to take a few steps towards your visuals, take a few steps towards the audience. But no, you wouldn't not, you would never want to pace back and forth in front you know, in, in front of your audience. But if you're able to walk up and down the aisles, like in an academic setting, you know, being able to walk up. And when I see students who are able to walk up and down, give their presentation, draw attention to their visuals, keep an eye, watch the feedback, watch the facial expressions of the audience. You know, they can see whether or not they're getting through to people or if they're confused, because people are going to show you with their faces. Mm -hmm. You get the nonverbal cues back from your audience. So that's how you can, you know, make, you know, you, you can change or adapt or do whatever you need to do when you're giving your presentation. But yeah, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't face back and forth. <laughs> Marjorie, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back to, and I can't wait to hear this one, verbal, verbal fillers that you're going to discuss as well as pauses. So I know I can learn a lot from that. So thank you all for listening to win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon one. We will get back to you really shortly and quickly. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the Win the 16 podcast, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To find out more about Pygon One Consulting, please visit 
pygon1.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. We have Margie Owens Klotz, the CEO of Owens Media, with us, who's teaching us all about different ideas and techniques to help us all public speak. So, Margie, let's just jump right back into it. Uh, I can't wait to hear this because this continues to be a watch out for me, and I'd love to hear your perspective on the difference between vocalized pauses and verbal fillers. So why don't you touch on that for all of us? Okay, vocalized pauses would be uh, um, uh, which are abstract sounds, okay? And you're, there are different theories on why people use them. Um, some people have said, and I've read this, that people who used vocalized pauses, that they're not as intelligent, which I find hard to believe because I'm the queen of ums, or you're thinking ahead, your brain is going that fast, and that's your way of pausing, and you're using, you know, a filler word, ah, uh, um, or ah, uh, you know, an abstract sound. It's hard to do, but the best thing to do is don't say anything, okay? So when you're giving a presentation or when you're talking because you want to be conversational, off the cuff, well-prepared, but conversational, your best bet is to pause. There's nothing wrong with a pause. Okay, the verbal fillers, those are... Margie, can I ask you a question? <laughs> yes. I just raised my hand, audience, here to our experts. What you just said, Margie, is perfect. It's genius. Here's the challenge. The challenge is there are people listening that silence for two seconds feels like 10 minutes, and they struggle with that. I know early in my career that was a struggle for me. Do you have any tips or advice, and there might not be, on how do we just keep our mouths quiet and pause and give that, even though for some of us internally, that feels like it's 10 minutes. I'm exaggerating, but any advice you give for people out there where it just feels awkward and strange? Um, I, um, as I start out with, um, as I'm thinking, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because you have to make a conscious effort not yes. to interject a verbal pause. Okay. I have had, um, I've seen instructors who count the number of times somebody would say the word, um, in a presentation. Well, that in itself would give me, that would make me crazy because I'd be, <laughs> I, I would know that they're counting how many times I said it. You're aware of it. And if you're doing that, when someone's giving a presentation, the person is not going to be able to concentrate on the subject that they're discussing. So it is, it, it is, it's, it's a conscious effort that you have to make it's not, I think knowing how to handle a vocalized pause is easier than overcoming a verbal filler because verbal fillers are a big part of your vocabulary. And those would be like, you know, so like, like, how many times do people say like, oh. um, actually, or I mean, I mean, you know, people have said, you know, say, I mean, those are more difficult to overcome. I think with the vocalized pauses, if you're thinking ahead, you have to make a conscious effort not to open your mouth. Keep your, keep your lips together. It's a matter of seconds because you're going to go right to your next point. Okay. If you, if you're following me, but the verbal fillers, that's actively changing your vocabulary. That's more difficult because they have become ingrained 
in your brain and in your conversation. So if you think of the Valley Girls and every other word, like, 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 like. And um, I, I don't see a lot of that now. Well, obviously with adults, younger kids, you know, late teens, we have, you know, girls, late teen girls are, are a lot of, you know, with the likes. Um, adults, I usually, I, you see it on TV or when somebody or on the radio, and they sure ask you're... somebody a question and they start out with, so. I would think with the executives that you coach and teach and train from the executive level, managers, directors, vice presidents, those type of people, I would agree. They're probably not using like. I would imagine their challenge probably would be more using the ums. I had an executive that I used to work with. His was right. He would make a sentence. So... Today, we're going to discuss the marketing of this, this, and this, this. We're going to go here, right? Also, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss how we're going to connect this with the sales team and we're going to connect this with the corporate affairs and right. So his challenge was the right. And it was got to the point where it was so overused because the reality is you didn't use it at all. You'd hear it sometimes four or five in a minute. So it became distracting, Margie. That, that is distracting. It's and, distracting. And if somebody en ends a question that way, that doesn't, you know, and you look at the statement that he's making, you know, this is, we're going to do this, this, and this, right? It's like he's he's second guessing him, questioning himself, right? Right? Why, I, 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 you know, and you look at the psychology of it because you, obviously when you're talking, you want to be firm. And if he's the supervisor telling you what you're going to do, this is what we're going to do. Because when he says the word right, it questions, it, it, it negates what he had just said. Like there's a, you know, there's a, it's open for debate and it's not. I believe, he, I believe, and I think he's amazing. So for me, that didn't distract me totally. I will say though, others, or if it's the first time he was speaking, that's a watch out. That could be a distractor. That could take away from his brilliant communication that he was sharing and knowledge. So I thought that was just not that others use that at the executive level, but this was just one person that jumped out at me. I also believe that is where no matter what level you're at, if you've not tape recorded yourself, I would recommend to do that. And I would do it on a topic that you're not that comfortable with because a lot of these executives that you and I both work with, they take questions. So you mentioned earlier, preparation is critical in public speaking. If you know your material and what you're going to speak on, odds are you will public speak on that topic better because you're prepared. But many of these executives, they're taking questions and they don't always know what those questions are going to be. And we all know that's when anxiety, nervousness, could potentially come in and that's where they might fall back or on a potential verbal filler. So that's why I think it's critical people record themselves in a setting that maybe the heat's turned up a little bit or a topic that they're not most comfortable with because that's when that verbal filler might come out. So I don't know. I just thought that off the top of my head that it might be something. It's true, but getting back on with Q and A's, you know, and, and, and we do this, I, we, we have done work with a number of political candidates and they would be at like a, an open you know, a town hall meeting. And we tell them, if you cannot answer something, if you don't know the answer, don't be afraid to say, 
I don't have that information right now. Let me get back to you. You know, that would be the best way. And then have somebody get an email or get a phone number or, you know, it's key, especially with, with political candidates. You know, if you cannot answer, you know, why is it, you know, when is my, when is my street going to be paved? Well, I don't know that off the top of my head. You don't want to be, you know, smart alecky, but you have to say, no, I have to look that up. Let me get back to you. I will get back to you. So that would be an answer too for an executive. You know, if you can't answer a question, you know, reduce the anxiety and don't be afraid to say, I don't have that information in front of me. Let me get back to you. Sure. You know, and then when we do, we do media training too. And one of the biggest things, don't say no comment. You know, I'm, I'm not, you're, you're better, better answers. I can't answer that right now. You don't answer with no comment. You never answer with no comment. When it comes to the media, just say, you know, I'm not, if you look at, think about a, like a police department press conference, you know, if something happens, you've got the police chief in front of the microphones. And if they ask something, you don't say no comment. It's just say, I cannot answer that right now. Be truthful. You know, I cannot share that with you right now. And you don't I, have to be snotty doing it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Delivery yep. is, I don't, I was about to say everything, Margie, but that would have been overplaying it. But delivery to me is, is, is just massive. I think in corporate America, I don't, at least myself, I haven't heard the no comment. You see that more in government. I would say government, government, political, yeah. yep. probably those people that you're coaching and training over the years and you currently coach, you probably have that more than your executive people that you coach. That one probably, I would just think. So why don't we move on this one? Just general tips on public speaking as well as public speaking virtually. Those are two different ones, but any tips you might have, I'm sure the audience would love, and I know myself would, that you might have from your perspective that you share with others. Okay, for virtual presentations, um, I, of course, enjoy in-person presentations much better, but virtual presentations, that's the way of the, you know, that's the way things are now. Yes. Um, looking at some of the best practices, know your audience. You know, even if you're doing an online presentation for a group, who is in the audience? Who's going to be on there? And whoever hired you or whoever's hosting the, the presentation should be able to give you that information. What level of management are they? What their background, gender, ages, everything. Um, and you may think you can pop on to a virtual presentation and hit it out of the park. No. Again, you have to practice. Practice and preparation are key. The two Ps. Do a few run-throughs the day before. Record yourself. Test all of your technology. If you're going to be on Zoom and incorporating a slideshow or bringing in other visuals, a video, make sure it works. You know, if you're popping through, you're popping around on your desktop, be aware of what's on your desktop, what's in the background of your desktop. You know, test everything, dial in early, dress appropriately, um, look at your lighting. Don't sit in front of a window because otherwise you'll be a silhouette on the camera. Talk to the camera, know where, you know, if you're making an online presentation for the first time, say if you're working with your laptop or your iPad, know what light on your iPad, on your device is the camera. So if you're looking at, you talk to that light. Um, I've seen where, where professionals have they're watching themselves because, you know, you have the camera flip. So you're watching yourself and you can tell mm -hmm. when somebody's watching themselves. And it's, it's hard. You have to adjust because you're going to see yourself talking in your peripheral vision, but you have to talk to that light. So the audience sees you talking to them. Um, you know, don't watch yourself. And with a virtual presentation, you have to almost think like a television show. What do you like to see? What holds your attention? People are not going to, you're, you're going to lose them if you're, you know, one talking head for, you know, 30 minutes. 
you know, incorporate your visual aids, slides, video. And one of the biggest thing with using slides is don't read your slides to your audience. You, mm -hmm. There's no need to read your slides to your audience. Leave the slide up long enough for them to read it themselves. And I tell my, 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 my college kids this, you wouldn't be this far if you couldn't read. I'm mm. not going to read these to you. You're going to take a few seconds. I'm going to talk. You read. Because a lot of them, a lot of professors sit, go through an entire class and read every slide to their class. You don't need to. They can read it on their own. You, you know, I, when you're talking, you want to add to what's on the slide or explain how the slide you know, is emphasizing what you're talking about at the point. Okay, um, with businesses, you know, I know with like webinars and stuff, some people have cameras on, some people have cameras off, some groups make it optional. Um, if, if cameras on is optional, one of the things I would suggest and that, that we do is have them turn on their cameras to introduce themselves. You know, I want to see who I'm talking to. We're all here in the same place at the same time for the same reason. You know, I realize you have other things to do as you're listening to what I'm talking about, but can I see your face at least once? You have to keep them engaged. Ask people to check in midway. Ask for feedback either out loud or in the chat, emojis or words. Um, you can create surveys or take polls, take polls during your presentation related to your subject matter. You know, all of this has to be planned and prepared beforehand. Um, address people by name, you know, because, you know, if someone's on Zoom, they, you know, more often than not, they have their, their name right up on top, you know, on the screen. You know, you can address them by name, ask them a question. Um, with virtual presentations, the medium that draws from original idea, you almost have to think theater, Okay. You want to be engaging, genuine, short segments, seek feedback during the presentation, especially if the cameras are off, you know, or you, know, you can ask them, how are you doing? Or give me one word to describe what you've learned today, where people could pop words into the chat so you know that they're paying attention. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of times when you're doing a virtual presentation, there might be one or two people who keep their cameras on and the other ones maybe, you know, tied up with other stuff, but, you know, you would address, you know, address the presentation to everyone and, you know, try to engage everyone. It's hard because if you're That's talking hard. to a, a black screen with a name, but like I said, there are things that you can do throughout the presentation to keep people engaged. And I think one of the biggest things is the short segments have different parts planned within the presentation, you know, with your video and your slides and your visuals and questions and surveys, and then ask for feedback. You know, you, you, you want feedback on how well you did with the subject matter that you presented, you know, set up a, you know, where they could email you or set up a survey, you know, what did you enjoy? What would you have added, you know, and be open to suggestions for improvement, you know, cause we can all, everything we do can be improved on. And when you're getting, you know, good feedback, solid feedback from people who are part of, you know, who are watching what you're presenting, you know, that's how you improve for the next one. Yes. Great stuff. Marge, I have one tip on this one. And this is formality. It is amazing if a virtual presentation or a live presentation, if an hour is allocated or 30 minutes is allocated and you cut your program or presentation even five minutes short and finish early, it is amazing how appreciative your audience is whether they're your direct reports, clients, peers. It is amazing when you finish a few minutes early, what it does for your audience. Why? 
Margie, my experience, most people run right up to that hour or go over it. In the world we live in today, a lot of us have back-to-back -back meetings and we go from that one meeting from 12 to one and now we're already late for the next meeting. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people cause me to be late in my career because the program went too long or how many times I've had speakers say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. The meeting prior went over. And I always think to myself, because the program before or the either meeting program, whatever you want to call it, because that was mismanaged, why is this meeting now? Why are we having to suffer? So just a little tip out there. Timeliness is so appreciated by our audience when we're talking to them, if we can really, really stay on top of it. So go ahead, Margie, I can see you got something for us. No, that's, and, and, and that's, I can see that. And that's funny because as you say that, um, you think about the college kids too. You know, if I let class out five minutes early, I mean, they're, 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 they are, it's amazing. They run out the door and it's because I'll say, well, we're done. I'm not going to keep you guys here. We'll get a cup of coffee, go get some breakfast. And they're like, yes, you know, as they run out the door. So no, they, and that, that, that holds true too, you know, in, in the business world, because, you know, your time is money. Your time is valuable. You're giving somebody your time. So, I mean, going over that's, that's, you know, the biggest objection, generally speaking for most people in doing something for themselves, doing something for their family at work and adding on top of whatever they're already doing is time. So I just think it's a reminder you can influence. I love Dale Carnegie, the book that he wrote on how to win friends and influence people. I just think if you want to influence people, cut your presentations a couple minutes short, you'll be amazed. So we'll jump to, uh, you have a top 10 list. I do. I do. The top 10 benefits of public speaking training, um, you know, and, and applying it to a business perspective, because you know, you're talking about managers and executives. I mean, this, this is like from the ground up, um, you know, improving customer service, it increases self-confidence, enhances leadership skills, increases po promotion potential. It helps, you know, if you're confident in one situation, you can always apply it to another. So it reduces anxiety in stressful situations. And when you improve your public speaking skills, you also improve your listening, reading and writing and overall communication skills. Um, it create, you can create a podium presence, address groups conversationally, which is the, the given way for present presentations. Now, um, um, listen to me here. I'm saying, um, as I say, avoid vocalized oh. pauses, like I'm, so, um, and, uh, I'm going to interject on this one, Margie, public speaking. And I did not articulate this early on, but I'm going to now it is not for all of you out there. And this includes myself. I am, I am not an expert at this. That's why I brought Margie here. But even our experts who are out there, nobody's perfect at this. Remember, public speaking is no different than leadership, critical thinking, mental toughness. These are all skills that we can develop and nobody's perfect at them. We all are a work in progress and we are all at times gonna slip. It's the point of making a move up so and get better at that skill. Mar Marge, I don't mean to interrupt you. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back finishing your list 
as well as I want to touch before we finish today, your perspective on storytelling. So everybody, thank you for listening to Win the 16 podcast, and we'll be right back shortly. Thank you. If you're an individual or an organization contemplating personal and professional development, reach out to Pygon One Consulting to have a discovery conversation regarding how we can help you and your business. Please visit our website at pygonone.com to start your journey. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening to Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. So, Margie, I believe you had one more item on your top 10 list. Would you like to share that before we jump into storytelling? Yes. On our top 10 benefits of public speaking training, the 10th that I have here is improve overall communication skills. And it, it, you can see the change. I can see the metamorphosis in people from when I begin working with them to the end. And it's, I you know, it, it's, you know, I, I, I sound dorky when I say it's like a butterfly, but it is because <laughs> I have seen an actual transformation with people after I have worked with them with, you know, how they begin and how they end. And they just have a newfound confidence and it improves their overall communication skills. I can only imagine it again, public speaking is a skill and no matter what level you are at, let's say you're really good. What we're talking about today is how do you go from really good to spectacular? If you're good, how do you get to really good? If you're, if you think you're average or even below average, don't hang your hat. All Margie's communicating today is some of these tips, which are not easy, but they are simple to do, right? We could communicate more effectively by being more prepared and listening to ourselves. These are things we all can, can control. And I believe they're just outstanding tips for no matter what level you are at with public speaking. So we're gonna finish up on this topic. I had the opportunity years and years ago to take a three hour course on storytelling. As we were going through it or told, we were communicated, you guys are gonna take this class. We were all really like, what is storytelling? So I cannot wait for you, Margie, to share with people your perspective on storytelling. So why don't you take over and share with us your thoughts? Okay, storytelling, if you think about it, we have been listening to stories since we were babies. Your parents started reading mm. you books when you were little and you've grown up with you know, grown up with stories and it's human nature. When someone starts telling a story, it pulls, it, it gets your attention. Mm. Okay. Storytelling in public speaking, uh, that's a great way to open up a presentation, even in a business setting. You could tell a personal story. You could tell a success story. You could tell a story about a client. You could tell a story about how, you know, the product that you're selling helped someone, you know, without bragging, but you can make the point. A big part of marketing right now is hearts to minds. So a lot of companies and their marketing and advertising, they're going for the heartstrings. And when a lot of time when with my, like say with the college kids, I'll tell them there are three ways to open a presentation. Okay. I use a fishing analogy and I say, you cast, no, you, you, cast the cast the line, set the hook and reel them in. And we go three ways. One is with an anecdote or a quote. One is with a startling statistic or a story. You can always tell a story. And if you don't have a personal story to share that you know applies to what you're talking about, odds are you can find one on the internet and tell somebody else's story. 
it's human nature. People love stories. And when you use a story in a presentation, you open up with it. You use it as the attention getter to draw people in. Okay. And then you bring them into the body of your presentation. And at the conclusion, you can circle back. Okay. That would be a circle back conclusion. And you, sh you can, sometimes you can share the rest of the story or, you know, add on to the story. You know, you, you can finish the story or add the next part of the story. Just you bring the story back at the conclusion. And that's how, and I tell my, my students this, and I tell adults this as too, wrap it up and put a bow on it because people are going to remember what you said at the end. They will remember one, you know, the last things that you said. They may not, re may not remember what you said in the body of your presentation, but you want to, you, one last punch, one last punch, and they will remember what you talked about. Great. That's a great one. And I can tell you, Margie, firsthand experience, some people are more comfortable with telling personal stories, stories of their experiences. Some people are more comfortable than others at it. And I can tell you, I just finished my book, Win the 16, and I had my one of my good close friends in New York, and he was pressing me on it. Didn't see the book, hasn't seen it yet, but he kept pressing me don't lose sight of the stories. Don't lose sight of the stories. So he knows because he listens to our podcast. He'll know I'm talking about him. But that story piece, he kept on pushing me, that will engage your audience. I would encourage everybody, if you're a bit uncomfortable with telling a story and you're not sure it's going to resonate, that is when you lean on a friend, a peer, a colleague, and share with them the story that you want to communicate and make sure they're on board with you and in alignment with what you're thinking, because that might give you the confidence. So Margie, before we close out today, is there anything else that you would like to share to our audience today? I would think the biggest thing is that everybody is nervous. You're not the only one that's nervous. I bring in guest speakers to my classes. I bring in VPs, I bring in executives, I bring in elected officials, I bring in company presidents. And they always tell me before we start, I'm nervous. And I say, please tell the kids that. Let the kids know that, you know, you're the president of a multi-million dollar corporation and you're, everybody's nervous. Mm -hmm. And if you're not nervous, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> you, you should be nervous because you focus that and use that nervous energy and get excited and passionate about what you're talking about to communicate with your audience, get your point across. And, and you know, it's, it's a win-win. The audience learns from you and you get excited and your adrenaline's going and you're pumped up and ready and fired up to go. But every single person walking into a presentation online, in person, doesn't matter where, you know, if you're doing your, your, a 30 minute elevator pitch, a 30, 30 minute, excuse me, 30 second elevator pitch, everybody's nervous. You are not alone. Every, it's human nature. You're going to be nervous, but use that nervous energy and make it a positive. Marge, if you've got a trick to get a 30 minute elevator pitch, <laughs> Pygon One Consulting, <laughs> would love to hear that for our business development team. So that would be wonderful. So Margie, thank you so much for your expertise today. Thank you for sharing your perspective as a professor. Thank you for sharing your perspective uh, from a CEO of Owens Media. And we really do appreciate everything you provided for us today. I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure the feedback will get everybody or most people have surely gotten something today. And to recap, you were able to share how public speaking has evolved. You clarified what public speaking is in terms of being a life skill, 
how do we overcome this anxiety and nervousness that a lot of us have at times? Maybe some of us have it all the time when we public speak. You clearly told us, don't touch the podium. So I will not touch the podium, I, I hope, ever again. You were crystal clear on the why behind that, so thank you. The vocalized pauses, the fillers, the virtual speaking, the public speaking, some of the tips, as well as your top 10 list, and last but not least, the storytelling. So thank you so much for that, Margie. Uh, job well done today. So everyone, thank you for listening to Win the 16th podcast. As always, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. Our next podcast, Dr. Bud Pygon, my partner, will be back. And we will be speaking with everybody on a topic that Bud has been uh, anxious to speak with and have both of us communicate to you. And that is, we're going to share with you all each of our favorite three books. And hopefully, we can share some details on the why behind them. And not only might they be potential reading reads for anyone listening in the future if they've not read them, as well as we're going to share some tips of some things that really jumped out to both of us on the books that we're going to share. So it should be a little different podcast, but it, I, we think it'll be a lot of fun and very informative with the content that it will deliver to everybody. So thank you all for listening to Win the 16 podcast. We appreciate you. As always, please feel free to make any comments to us and you can reach us at pygon1.com. Thank you so much. Again, Happy New Year to everybody, and we hope everyone has a great 2023. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. Please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Regular episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 6 a.m. Central Time. Thank you, and go win the 16.